and welcome to the first installment of Visionaries, a podcast that proves you don't need a lot of vision to be able to have a perspective on the world, just need a viewpoint, determination, and a healthy work ethic. My name is John Steinberg, and I'm joined by my co-host, Santino. Santino? My name is Santino Mayoni. I'm so excited to be doing this podcast with John. Excited to be here. We have some great topics lined up. John, take it away. Yeah. So we want to begin this episode and every subsequent episode with a quote. I think it's useful to begin things kind of looking back for precedent, and that'll help us get where we are trying to go. So words to live by. One of my own personal heroes, the manager, founder, impresario of the Wynn Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, Steve Wynn. Now, Steve Wynn was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, a disease that leads to blindness in roughly 300,000 Americans. And despite this precarious diagnosis, Mr. Wynn went on to essentially conquer Sin City, establishing a footprint with, at first, the Golden Nugget, and then the Mirage, followed by the Bellagio. The list goes on and on and on. So, words to live by from Steve Wynn. I wasn't born with a lot of eyesight, but I was born with a lot of vision. So when you hear that, Santino, yeah. what, what does it invoke in you? What, what, what does it make you think of? Uh, it makes me think of somebody who's persevered and has accomplished um, a lot in their life, despite, again, having that obstacle of retinitis pigmentosa. It also makes me think of how much he's like, like how much he's inspired you, how you described him as a personal hero, how much he probably inspires and empowers everybody and anybody who is dealing with uh, obstacles such as retinitis pigmentosa or really any obstacle in their life. I think that Steve Wynn has become, or with, with, with this quote, he has become a, a fi- again, a figure of empowerment and inspiration to so many people like John. And that's really what that quote makes me think of. And that's kind of uh, what, what it invokes in me, especially like emotionally wise. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with this podcast, we are looking to do a few things here. We're looking, as I said, for precedent, for perspective and pathways to success. Now I am someone who is visually impaired and it's my belief that through this podcast, Santino and I can do our part in not only hoping to educate folks, but also hoping to entertain, delight, and amuse folks with uh, the various topics that we are going to address over the life cycle of this show. So let us begin with our first segment. Well, words to live by. That's our first segment, second segment. Handprints, a Hall of Fame. We're going to go to the documentary about the famous, or I should say, infamous, famous blind magician, Richard Turner. I'm going to turn to you, John, first. I just want to get, you know, your reaction to the documentary dealt that Richard Turner was a part of and, you know, kind of elaborate on why Richard Turner is being inducted to our Handprints, a Hall of Fame. Right. So first of all, to address uh, kind of the title here, Handprints, Hall of Fame, of course, this is a reference to uh, Grauman's Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, where movie stars famously 
kneel down, placing their hands into the concrete for posterity's sake. You can go there today and see Marilyn Monroe's handprints that she left 75 years ago. So Richard Turner, born in 1954 in San Diego, Turner battled scarlet fever as a young man. And at the age of nine, it was due to this bout with scarlet fever that he began to lose his eyesight. Now, where many could have taken this and used it as a rationale to wave a white flag, a proverbial white flag in life, Turner did the opposite, developing a handy set of skills that would steer him into the world of magic. He's regarded as one of the world's foremost card magicians, a card shark, if you will, someone that specializes in card tricks. Turner has spent the bulk of his career astounding audiences across the nation and across the world with his abilities in the realm of a stack of 52 playing cards. He's performed for audiences with notable folks like Muhammad Ali, Colin Powell, and a wide swath of others. He's the subject of a documentary that you can find on Hulu called Delt, which delves into Turner's journey, if you will, through being diagnosed with blindness because of the scarlet fever to obtaining a guide dog for the first time and all of his illustrious activities that transpire over the course of his life. Now, along with Steve Wynn, Turner is a particularly inspirational, and it's a complete coincidence that these are both figures within the Las Vegas paradigm. It's a complete coincidence. But Richard Turner is also sort of a personal hero of mine. He doesn't even tell his audiences that he's blind. Now, I assume they're able to kind of figure it out after a while, but he doesn't identify as that. He doesn't lead with that. It's not the title of his life syllabus, if you will. Yep. But we do get to see in the documentary a person struggling with an unexpected life adjustment, someone who at first kind of pushes aside things like a cane, guide dogs, learning braille, some of the foundational pieces of the blind experience in America. Uh, he forgoes those uh, for quite some time. And it's during the documentary that we actually see him kind of come to terms with his blindness while not allowing it to define his existence. And one of the takeaways for me, Santino, and I'd like to get your thoughts here, yeah. is that the actual documentary more or less ends with Turner finally getting a guide dog. From somebody outside the visually impaired community, your perspective on this, I, I think, is invaluable. Yeah, so uh, one of the things that I reacted to extremely, like, just reacted to in general when I when I watched the documentary again, like you like you mentioned uh, during, during during what you said, was that he didn't 
lead with himself being blind. Like he didn't want he didn't want that to be the main focus. Like he wanted them to just enjoy the show that he was providing with the fifty two cards in that deck that he was able to manipulate them and be again, like you said, one of the uh, you know foremost card count, whatever you want to call him. Um, he didn't want the focus to be him being blind. And we see that when he refused to walk with a cane. He didn't use a guide dog, obviously, till the end when he did eventually get a guide dog. His sister actually, I believe, suffered from the same impairment that he did. And unlike Richard Turner, his sister was very open about the fact that she was blind. She would use a, she used a guide dog. She used a cane. So I found it interesting to kind of see that contrast when I did a little bit more research to see the contrast of his sister and him and how they were differing in, you know, what they wanted people to focus on, or I guess, you know, just know about them in general. Um, I think, though, getting uh, a guide dog, what it, what it kind of says is that he realized, okay, I can't be, af- I can't almost be afraid to just to admit, okay, I have this impairment, and it's it's okay for people to know that because it's not going to change their opinion of what I can do, and it's not going to shift their focus from the amazing talent that I do possess, despite having this large obstacle of retin- of of being blind. So. Really overall, just the, again, the documentary, I go back to that point that I made with when you, you know, gave your words to live by of just empowerment, uh, inspiring. Again, again, one of your personal heroes, Richard Turner, is that he, this documentary, again, should prove to people that you can achieve whatever you want to achieve and, just, and leave almost like an imprint on the world, no matter what obstacles you face. And I think that's really what needs to be taken away from the documentary as a whole. I think that's great. Um, and it was so interesting to watch incredulous audiences just marvel at the notion of this gentleman that can't physically see being able to turn these card tricks that are, I could never do them. I mean, I I mean they're 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 right up there <laughs> yeah. with the best magicians in the history of the world. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's, it's honestly amazing, and I like. It, what I kind of said in the middle there was like, I couldn't, I like, I mean, I, I could practice for how, for my entire life and maybe never even be, never even be as good as Richard Turner despite having sight. So I feel like that just makes it, it, it just makes it all that more incredible, but continue with what you were saying. I think there's a tendency in the visually impaired community to lead with your disability. But one of the reasons why Turner is such an inspirational figure to me and a lot of other folks in the community is because he doesn't do that. Uh, he doesn't allow the disability to define him. This is ability media. Visionaries, again, is a podcast meant to demonstrate that no matter the obstacle, the hand that you've been dealt, as it were, yep. you too can achieve at the highest levels of whatever industry you choose to enter into whatever your field is whatever your whatever your goal whatever the dream it, that that's the notion to take away is that you can achieve it just and you and you you shouldn't you shouldn't you can't let the obstacles you know i guess stop or even define you and again richard turner demonstrates that perfectly in this documentary yeah uh something that wasn't seen in the documentary that i found personally interesting he worked for a number of years at billy bobs in fort worth which is the country's largest honky tonk, famous for having a big old rideable mechanical bull. And I'd like to know on a side note, if anybody ever, well, you can see where I'm going with that. But for this first episode and our first installment of Handprints Hall of Fame, like Marilyn Monroe on Hollywood Boulevard in front of Grauman's Chinese Theater, we enshrine, loosen up those cufflinks, put Richard Turner's hands down the dirt for 
is Signature. Awesome, John. That was a great way to close that segment out. So we'll move on to our next segment, which is Profiles and Courage. I will be interviewing John on some of his different experiences and just interactions that he's had out, you know, out in the world while, while having this impairment of retinitis pigmentosa. So, John, my first question to you would be, when you found out at the age of 19 and you were diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, what was your initial reaction and just kind of how did you cope and um, adapt to that situation that kind of got thrown at you at such a young age? Yeah, so, you know, so I was always aware that there was something wrong with uh, my eyes, but I didn't know what it was. Uh, so I was a sophomore in college and I was working for the campus uh, sports radio station and uh, I had a career in broadcasting in my crosshairs. And to shorten what would be a much longer story, I had a doctor straight up tell me that I was going to be completely blind by the age of 35. I was asked what my career prospects were, whether I thought I was going to have children or not. A lot of questions that I had not anticipated having to address while visiting my Yes, I was told by the doctor that I might want to consider a different line of work as actually seeing the action on the field from a broadcasting booth that might be difficult at a certain point in time that the disease was genetic. So I would want to consider that with respect to family planning and things of that nature. It was devastating. Absolutely. But it did inspire me to consider my future in something of a different way. Now there's a clock attached to everything. So now I knew that retinitis pigmentosa, RP for short, and boom, you're 19 and you have until you're 35 when ostensibly the screen goes blank. So what can you do until the curtains close? Not to be morbid, but that's how I thought of it. So at that time, I put together all these different lists, refer to them as the projects, all these different things that I want to do in life. Other people would call them um, a bucket list, but I don't like the term. So I'll call them the projects for the moment. And I set about trying to do those things while I knew that I still had the capacity uh, to do them. Traveling, going places, seeing every movie on AFI's list of 100 greatest films, reading every book on Modern Library's list of the 100 greatest novels written in the English language, stuff like that. All of these things that I had no concept of prior to that fateful visit in what at uh, the tender age of teen. So sorry, that was a bit of a long-winded retort to what seemed to be an otherwise a pretty open-ended question. No, I think I don't. I don't think it was long-winded or you know, like excessive at all, if you want to call it that, because I think it's important for the listeners, especially, and even myself as an outsider, to understand that you know it, it was a big, big adjustment that you had to make. Obviously, you know, hearing this news and it hitting you almost like a Mack truck, like essentially, and you just being all right. I have to, you know, think about things that, you know, you, you initially thought were way down the line about like, you know, kids, all like the you know, relationships that you were nowhere near thinking about, at least from my understanding. And that 
you had to shift your career uh, aspirations and goals from wanting to be a sports broadcaster, journalist, analyst, whatever term you want to use, and then having to almost give that up essentially just do, you know, with the cards that you were dealt, uh, nod toward the documentary we talked about earlier. But yeah, I just think it's amazing that you, again, make that adjustment, adapt, shift your focus and just, you know, be, be, be able to come up with different ways to accomplish things. You know, you're talking about the projects, like things that you wanted to do that you knew you could do despite the impairment that was, you know, impending. And I think it's important for the listeners to take, take that all in for what he said during, during that story is that you can accomplish what you want to accomplish. And John is living proof of that. So my next question I want to ask is about, you know, maybe some interactions that you've had just out in public. Cause I know you travel with public transportation everywhere you go, whether it's downtown LA, different areas of Los Angeles, but what would you say, I guess, if you want to call it the worst or most interesting interaction that you've had with people on the streets, bus, train, you know, whatever it be. Well, you actually got to see a little bit of this uh, yeah, yeah. last week when we met for the first time. There are certain moments where I'm not even going to speculate as to what the potential reasons might be. <laughs> yeah. But people sometimes think that I'm faking. Uh, I don't believe uh, that I actually have um, visual issues, I suppose. So there have been a number of occasions over the course of the last several years where I'll be out. And so it's interesting. I think people occasionally conflate blindness with being deaf so that if you can't see, then it would it should stand to reason that you won't be able to hear or anything else. Yeah. Uh, but I've had numerous occasions where folks all hear and kind of feel the sound of footsteps behind me, i.e. I'm coming off of a train platform and people are coming behind me, that kind of thing. Uh, but on a couple of trips, I will hear the sound of those very same footsteps and they'll start moving and they'll move around me and then I'll hear them stop in front of me. I can hear that a person is still standing there. I can sense that they're there. Yep. And as though they're trying to test me. And I'll have to say, hello, hello, uh, what are you doing? What are you? And you know, I'll get kind of angry. Um, but that, that happens more often than it should. Um, most of the time, I would say about 75%, if I were to label it with a number. People are great. Um, helpful, willing to lend a hand, uh, just good Samaritans out there looking to do their best by whomever they pass when they're on the street. But the 25%, uh, that can go in a lot of different directions. And for whatever reason, I would have never guessed this prior to just living with this condition, is sometimes people think I'm kidding or I'm joking or that I'm faking. Yeah. And, and again, like, I don't want to get too deep into speculation. Like I want to just, again, like more so just stay with your experiences and what you can speak to. But I, I do have to just say, I'm very curious as to what is going through their heads though, as to why they would think you're faking. And again, we have no way of knowing why or what their reasoning is, all that kind of, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I am curious. My other question though is, you know, when, when, when you talk about the 75%, you know, if you had to put a number on it, the people that are trying to genuinely help you that, you know, if you, if you're looking for a landmark, something like that, and we'll get into that a little bit later when you give your uh, story about the Librea Tar Pits. But 
I, I think the, the, the main thing I want to know is how do you go about kind of telling people like, you know, it's okay, I got it. Like, you know, or like, you know, not seeming rude, like you don't want their help and seem appreciative like that. How, how do those interactions go? You've got to be thick skinned in this yeah. life, don't you think? Definitely. Whether you've got a disability, whatever the condition, definitely the human condition, as it were, <laughs> necessitates having a thick skin in life. 100%. So, uh, when somebody will say, You're faking, like, he can see that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think personally, um, you know what? They're probably dealing with difficulties of their own and projecting whatever on the situation. I don't think it has anything to do with me specifically. Yeah. So, you know, it's important to keep that in mind. And uh, then, yeah, people, in addition to questioning the veracity of the condition, period, sometimes they'll just sort of come up to me and grab me by the arm, assuming, oh, my God, he's about to walk off the edge of film blank. Yeah. Which, fair enough, I get hearts in the right place, but when someone approaches you and grabs you by the arm and jerks you in a certain direction, uh, it can be abrasive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, in that situation, you sort of kind of try your best to gently uh, take your arm out of theirs, remove it, say, um, I got it, I got it. Uh, and, yeah, diplomacy, as is so often the case in life has steered me in the best direction because it does happen on a daily basis for sure. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of this, you know, uh, the famous movie, and not to spoil anything for our future episodes, but Al Pacino's famous me sense of a woman where he goes, I, I touch you, you don't touch me. That's kind of what, what, what that makes me think of is that you, you are the other one that needs, if you need the help, you're the one that reaches out. It shouldn't be that they come and again, like have you jerk you in a different direction because that can throw you off what you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish. And again, I feel like we'll be able to hear some of that in your story later that you'll tell us. But overall, I think it's just very important, again, for the listeners to know that you have to have a very, very strong mindset that, that, that John definitely exhibits and has in dealing with all these different situations because, it again, I, again, only from an outsider's perspective, it's hard enough to imagine having to live with his his specific impairment, any kind of disability in general. And it's hard enough even living just as, like he said, a human condition, as it were, if you want to put it in that sense. It's hard enough living like that and dealing with everything you have to deal with. And you add a disability or an impairment or anything of, of, of the nature on top of that, it becomes an entirely different world. And you have to have a strong mindset, a very, very strong mindset to overcome different instances, not get distracted, not get thrown off course. John, you can even speak a little bit to that. of When you're trying to accomplish something when you're trying to get to a landmark, go to, let's say a restaurant, whatever, whatever the case may be, do you find yourself ever get thrown off by different interactions or kind of get distracted and lose your focus on what you're trying to accomplish? Never in the abstract. Every situation is different, of course, being way more diplomatic than I normally am, (laughs) but every situation is different. And the considerations that accompany each situation are also different. So that you know what we do, we do our best in life. Yep. No matter what the case. Um, and I don't consider myself what more special than anybody else. Whatever, whatever. Seriously, I, I meant what I said. That people have challenges that they are grappling with on a daily basis that I can't wrap my head around. So I take every challenge as it comes to me. 
do my best to lead a productive, successful life and serve as a decent enough example um, for others. Now, I think that's an interesting point of transition as we move into our next segment. Respect and representation in the media. So let's talk about the show In the Dark. The program has aired on the CW since 2019. The show, as of this taping, is in its fourth season. All the shows within those seasons are available to stream on Netflix. And the show follows a protagonist named Murphy who has retinitis pigmentosa, same eye condition as I do, as she navigates her own life, own ailments, faults, trials, and tribulations as she attempts to piece together the murder of a good friend of hers. Mm-hmm. And Murphy, who is in her mid to late 20s, has her own set of uh, their challenges vices you could say vices yeah whatever the uh, the word that you would like to attach to them but i found it so interesting that there was a show such as in the dark period which includes a protagonist that actually is suffering from retinitis pigmentosa so i'm curious the actual actress who portrays murphy on mm-hmm. the show she doesn't have retinitis pigmentosa. Yeah. And there's been much scuttlebutt on the internet as I found some different uh, interviews that she had conducted uh, for press for the show. And there are a number of folks out there in the visually impaired community who don't like the fact that someone who doesn't suffer from an eye condition is portraying someone who does. Yeah. Where do you kind of land on, on this? I mean, from an outsider's perspective, obviously it's different. I, I might have a different viewpoint than people within the visually impaired community and how they feel about it. But I honestly, again, from watching the first four or five episodes of the show in the first season, from my perspective, I don't have that much of an issue with it, especially because, I, again, at least in my opinion, from an outsider perspective, I feel that she did a great job of portraying the, the character Murphy um, she, I, I feel like she had to have done a lot of research going into the role just to kind of understand somewhat of, you know, somewhat of somebody that deals with uh, sight impairments, uh, you know, disabilities with their sight. She definitely did a lot of research to prepare for this role. And I think she did a really, really good job of portraying that character. I don't know if you had, if you have a different viewpoint on that, but I personally, at least in this instance of this show, I didn't really have a problem with it. Sure, sure. In an ideal world, in the best of worlds possible, yeah, you would have cast somebody who suffers from a vision condition. I I think in an ideal scenario, that would have been uh, the best case scenario. However, look, we're talking about acting here. And when I listen to an interview and Perry Matfeld talks about learning from multiple people on the production side of the show, I take that very seriously. She has talked about learning how visually impaired folks use smartphones. There's a whole methodology to it, I assure you. She also makes mention of following one of the visually impaired members of the crew 
as they conducted sort of everyday tasks, i.e. you're folding laundry, you are cooking, you are doing things around the house. And I credit the production team for having some folks with vision difficulties uh, to address a lot of those concerns. But more than anything else, I'm honestly, I'm happy that this show exists. Unless they really drop the ball, which, I mean, I don't think you could say without having a serious axe to grind. Uh, But unless they seriously dropped the ball and did a really irresponsible job of handling retinitis pigmentosa, I'm happy the show exists and it's exposing more people to the condition, educating more people and maybe turning those folks who think that those with canes that have white tips on the end are faking it out in the streets. Maybe it is minimizing the amount of those folks. Definitely. And I I think another huge thing to keep in mind here is that this character, Murphy, she tasks herself with solving a a murder, conducting a murder investigation that to, I, I guess to have a show that highlights the main protagonist, the main character, having this impairment of retinitis pigmentosa. And then obviously, listen, John, John, I I feel like will agree with me on this. There are limits, obviously, to what people with sight impairments can do and can achieve. And there are limits for any person in the world of what they can achieve and do. That's just, that's just facts. But the fact that a show is empowering people with whether you have, again, John or Murphy's specific impairment or you have a sight impairment in general, it's, it's an empowering show and it should inspire you again to believe that you can accomplish whatever you want to accomplish if you set your mind to it, if you have the right mindset, if you do a lot of planning, if you learn to just adapt to the situation that you're in, you can achieve anything. And again, John proves that right here. Some of the questions though, in terms of the show specifically, I wanted to ask you, I'm going to go to the title first. So the title in the dark, when I first heard it and when I watched the first episode, I immediately thought, okay, this is definitely a nod to how blind people may feel, to how they, you know, they, they are in the dark. So I want to get your opinion on that. Um, if you agree with me, on that's kind of what the title represents. But yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely there is a dual meaning going on there uh, with respect to the true crime angle of the show and then, of course, the show grappling with retinitis pigmentosa. This is a world where, I don't know, puns, although no one truly loves puns, do they? I might be getting that wrong. Maybe maybe in some corner of the world, people really get excited about puns, but people are always looking for kind of clever, in quotes, clever ways uh, to gain attention. So, yeah, In the Dark kind of works on multiple fronts, and... It was interesting in doing some of the research for today's program, I typed in Karen Kingsbury, who is the creator of In the Dark. I typed in Karen Kingsbury's comments on blindness. And you know how when you're on Google or I suppose Yahoo, you type in something and it'll give you similar searches yep. that other people have typed. Yeah, top five searches, yeah, mm-hmm, like that, yeah. that kind of thing. So one of the first five, I couldn't believe this, was... How do blind people not go insane when they live in darkness? Now, I don't know why you would type that into Google and who you believe is on the other end of Google answering questions (laughs) and what type of answer you might actually get from such a question. Yeah. Casting that aside, In the Dark's depiction 
of the condition um, and of this character who is dealing with it in, in, in real time, it sort of does a great deal to advance this idea that, yes, there are limits to what a person can do on a super-duper practical level. Um, I can't fly in the sky like a bird. It's just not possible. Yeah. Uh, but Murphy demonstrates that, you know what, it doesn't take literal eyesight to be a homicide detective or an amateur one in this case. Yeah. And what I love about the show is this character has flaws with a capital F. Definitely. He drinks to excess, probably has a problem there. Uh, she maybe sits around a little bit. Smokes a lot, too. Smoke, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, there are a lot of, yeah, you know, on paper things that maybe aren't the best. Not exactly when you want to bring home to the parents. Not, yeah, not, not necessarily. But she's not a cute, cuddly teddy bear. Yeah. You know, this is a human, this is a living, breathing woman. And she's doing the best she can. And maybe more than anything else, that's what I would love for people who check out in the dark mm-hmm. to take away from the program. You don't have to adhere to any label, to anything that the world says you can, you can't do, you should, or you shouldn't be. Just be a human being doing the best that you can. And let's evaluate all based upon the conduct of their character and nothing else. Definitely, definitely. I I agree with everything you said there. I think it's a great way to close that segment out. We'll head on to our final segment of our first episode here called Connecting the Dots, where John will give us, or I guess regale us with with a story of his adventures around Los Angeles and just kind of how he goes about um, you know, visiting different landmarks and just di- di- different areas of Los Angeles. So, John, give away, give us your story. Right. So, I found out that Los Angeles County is the largest one in the entire country. There are over 10 million people who live within the bounds of the county. It extends up to Lancaster in the north and as far down as Long Beach in the south. Within this county, there are 88 cities and over 50 official unincorporated areas. So I set about a mission for myself. Go to every single place and get enough material to be able to write an effective chapter about that particular area. So as kind of a side project to this, I also wanted to become an expert on... Los Angeles, as it were. So I try to go to many museums, places of interest, landmarks, all the stuff that you'd see in a Fromer's Guide uh, to do on my own and develop my own perspective and uh, thoughts about the area, landmark, city, film blank in question. So the La Brea Tar Pits were on my short list of the first museums that I needed to check out. So... Taking us past the, okay, I took a bus there and I got off and blah, 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 blah. Let's just take the story from, I'm standing out in front of the La Brea Tar Pits, but I'm not completely sure where to enter. Um, so let's 
worried about the Google Maps and Apple Maps and all of those features is that they can get you from one place to another in theory because they will not tell you to an exact foot measurement we've arrived somewhere. They're going to get you close. They're going to get you in near proximity, mm-hmm. but not necessarily door to door. So I am kind of trying to listen. Okay, where are people walking? Can I sort of follow the crowd here? How do I go about making it happen? And sure enough, I was lucky enough to hear the sounds of, yeah, a family. And I kind of start following. They sort of see me. Hey, like, are, are you trying to find a museum? Yes, yes, I, I am actually. Um, do you know if it's, if it's over there? Oh, no, just follow us. So I follow them. We head into a sort of lobby, I suppose. And ultimately, I was able to follow this nice family as they proceeded to take this really fun tour around the La Brea Tar Pits. And me being me, I asked the tour guide, um, have you seen the movie Volcano? And then I could kind of hear the balloon be deflated, as it were, and he responds, yeah. Um, and when somebody responds, yeah, not yes, or yeah, yeah a lot of its tone and inflection, say, oh, um, was any of that kind of possible, or how did we do on... Maybe the science there, and he was he, he was not having the question, and just straight up responded, no, no, no clarification, no expansion on the initial answer. He was prepared to sign off with quote unquote no, and I appreciated that. So it's with a combination of studying for it, and by study I mean get the directions in order, make sure you feel comfortable about the trip in question, what's it going to take, how long might it take, all of those requisite things, get all of that squared away, and after you've done the legwork combined with the Google Maps directions and all of the tools at your disposal, these things are obtainable. You, you can go to the La Brea Tarpets. If you game plan it effectively, do the requisite research, that kind of thing is possible. And I feel like it wasn't achievable in this sort of way 50 years ago, 75 years ago. It would have been uh, not impossible, but really, really, really difficult, borderline, almost inconceivable. Yeah. I, I think one of the biggest things that I took away and that every single one of our listeners should be taking away from that story he just told is that you, you can, again, I keep going back to the same point. I did it earlier on every single second, but I'm going to do it again because it, it is the overarching uh, thing that I want everybody to take away from this episode, from this show going forward, is that you can accomplish anything. You can achieve what you want to achieve. Despite any impairments, despite any disability, anything that you're dealing with, it is possible. And it's, again, just about doing the work putting in the planning, really having the drive, the want to do these things. Like just, just, just knowing in your own head saying, Hey, listen, I don't have to just sit on my couch and, you know, wait at the beck and call of somebody else or be at the whim of others and only do things when I have somebody with me, like that kind of thing. You can go out and do be self-sufficient, do everything that you want to do, 
go experience different, just experience di- different experiences. Go to this, if you're out in LA, go to the Santa Monica Pier, go to like, all, all different things. You guys can do that. And I think, I mean, Jimmy, there, that, that, that is one of the overarching points of the podcast is just to know that you can achieve what you want to achieve. Absolutely. Maybe don't go to the Santa Monica Pier. It's not that cool. But uh-huh. you know what I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I kid the West Side. Um, no, and going forward on the show, we're going to be talking to a lot of different people, weighing in on overcoming their own challenges in life, their own obstacles, uh, people within and outside of the visually impaired community who will also speak to some of the same issues. And we want to arm our listeners with enough information to be able to whether they have vision difficulties of their own, know someone who does, whatever the case may be, we want to be able to arm our wonderful listeners with enough information to be able to speak to others about what they've learned, as well as, of course, entertain, amuse, delight, and all forms of the human experience. We We'll do our best for you, wonderful listeners, bringing you up to speed and setting you forward on a path of success, no matter the challenges that might lie in front of you. Definitely. That's a great way to close it out. Uh, and I just want to say before we end the show, uh, do go for at visionaries underscore podcast. We'll be posting uh, post our episodes weekly on Spotify. And if you have any comments, suggestions, uh, anything you want to say to us, just DM us at visionaries underscore podcast on our Instagram. And we thank you guys for listening and keep tuning in. We'll have episodes out every week for you guys going forward. Yeah. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll talk to you next time.